Welcome to the Am I Honey podcast. This week, we cover part two of things to think about and work on with your archery setup to get you ready for the upcoming season. All right, welcome back to this week's episode. So we're going to pick up where we left off from last week. Uh, so hopefully you've had the opportunity to listen to that one because um, that just kind of goes over some of the more straightforward or you know basic things to um, look into or to double check with your archery setup to make sure that it's shooting the best you can. Now this week we're going to go into... Uh, a little bit more primarily on uh, getting those arrows tuned to get them to fly the best now for me I find this is certainly the more fun part because uh, this is really where you get to really tinker and customize your arrow setup uh, to what works best for your bow and for how you shoot so uh, kind of like I talked about before so you've got your bow and you've probably already had some arrows picked out um, you can certainly do this whole process I'm about to go over with whatever arrows you pick. So if you have an arrow that you uh, trust and are confident with and really like using, you don't have to change up your arrows uh, to do this process. You can just have you know, use your current arrows and to see if any of these processes or any of these items you know, make an improvement or not. Um, that's really what it, this comes down to is that you know these little adjustments and tweaks is just trying to get the best setup uh, or the best arrow flight you can out of it and it really just depends on your arrows your bow and how you shoot on what combination works best you know certainly you can pick up a, a pack of arrows off the shelf or have uh, your bow shop grab you set and they glue some inserts in screw a tip on them and they're good to go this whole process is something that you don't necessarily have to do but if you are wanting to get a little bit more out of you know your arrows um, and just make sure that they're shooting the best they can you know again the whole reason why i started going into this is because i was running into a few issues or issues with not getting good penetration so these are some things that just to help to make sure that just to hopefully put things a little bit more on your side and increase your odds a bit because again as i said in the last episode you know once that arrows in flight you have no control over the situation at that point so you always want to stack the cards in your favor as much as you can and doing these tests just helps you ensure that you've got the you know the best arrow flight you could possibly get out of your setup in that moment of truth hopefully it helps you out so again one of the most important things of this next process is ensuring that your bow is tuned you know or at least as close to perfectly tuned as you can Again, you're not gonna get every bow perfectly tuned, and, and you know, especially too, you'll notice that, you know, if you have it, you know, shot through like a hooter shooter mechanically, and then you shoot it, there will be a little bit of variance there, and that's that's part of archery. So, and the next thing I'm gonna preface to, uh, I did mention in the last episode where, you know, talking about the archery reports about having a particular uh, arrow weight, you know, that's something that something certainly to think about if you have a certain weight that you find out works best best for your bow then you know that's something that you can use as a um, you know as a reference point front of center or a certain arrow weight that your bow just seems to like but starting out you don't need to have a targeted you know oh it has to be this weight and I can't get there that's just one potential setup that you could have for a particular arrow weight you want to find what shoots best first and then look at the numbers of what that arrow is sitting at as your point of reference going forward. So the first part of this tuning process, you know you are, your bow's in tune. The next part is, is doing bear shaft tuning. So what we're gonna do with this is try to find out how your arrow flies uh, once it's coming off the bow. And you wanna do that bear shafted without, those, uh, without the fletchings on it, because uh, those fletchings, as soon as they come off the bow, they're automatically gonna start correcting any arrow flight and we don't want those fletchings to be doing that so you take them off so you can see what the arrow is doing by itself without any assistance so once you have your arrows that uh, don't have the fletchings on them the next thing you'll need is uh, different point weights or different you know field points weighted field points and so you can test and see which 
essentially which point weight and which arrow weight is flying is going to fly the best for you. There's a couple of things you can do. I've I've gone out and just gone to the archery shop and picked up uh, a few of different weights. So yeah. what I would recommend is start out with 100 grain field points and then go up 25 grains and then go all the way up to 200 grain uh, points. You know, those 200s are probably, and, there's, and the 200s and 175s are going to be probably a little bit trickier. Probably your local bow shop may not have them. So you either have to order some up or if you go through Ethics Archery, they actually build kits and you can get, um, you know, basically a point weight kit or a field point kit uh, that goes, you know, through those increments. Uh, and they don't believe they're too expensive. Yeah, I ended up just looking it up and it's $20. And that gives you, you get uh, two of each weight. So you get 200 grains, two 125s, two 150s, two 175s, and two 200 field points. So, and the reason why they give you two is one, one you can have a couple that you can re- kind of reference to and see how they're shooting in comparison to each other. The other thing is if you want to really take this to the next step, you would do it with two different arrow spines. Uh, so you'd always start out with the recommended and then you would go to the next stiffer arrow and test and see if those point weights makes a difference on if a certain arrow weight or certain arrow stiffness likes a certain uh, point weight. So you've got your different weighted field points. You've got your uh, arrow shafts. You could do it with the two different arrow spines. Uh, but if that's something that you're not looking to invest into, because uh, it does get kind of expensive buying essentially two different sets of arrows just with different spines. Uh, so this past year, I didn't even use the recommended uh, arrow spine uh, just because I was already kind of pushing the edge of the recommended spine based on what the recommendations are with the point weight and everything like that. And I knew I was going to be above that. So I just went ahead and bought the next uh, spine um, heavier. That way I knew that I didn't have any issue with it being underspined with that additional point weight that I was gonna throw on it. So the next thing you wanna do, now you can do this a couple different ways. You can shoot uh, these different arrows with the different point weights through paper. Or another thing that you can do that may not be quite as accurate, but it certainly is acceptable uh, you know, this is what I've done in the past or this is past season where, you know, I didn't, you know, get my, everything set up to the shoot through paper because with me being here at home, it's kind of a, a janky system. Uh, it works, but it takes a lot of setup and it whatnot. So all I did was take my target and I put it at about eye level or, a, you know, about where you're going to shoot straight forward because uh, you want that arrow to you know hit that target square or at least be you know shooting at it square uh, that way when you're looking at how the arrow flight was then you can look at if it's shooting high if it's shooting low or you know from left to right and whatnot so if you have it out down on the ground or something like that then it just makes that a little bit harder because you're already shooting down at an angle whereas if you shoot it at eye level you know essentially what you're going to be you know your main reference point will be did the arrow hit straight on so once you've got your arrows ready to go and your target set up what you want to do next is just stand back about seven to ten yards and again with that target ideally you know at eye level and whatnot and then so you'll just start out and shoot your arrows with the different point weight and with each one of those you'll notice that that arrow is probably not going to be hitting that target square is either going to be tilted up or angled down or tor- turned left or right. And what you want to do is with each of these different increments of that point weight is to look for and see if there's one that seems to be hitting that target more square. You know, more than likely what you'll run into is as you inc- as you make these adjustments, you're going to find one that kind of has a sweet spot where, you know, it, it won't look good. You know, the air will be candered off to one side real bad and then you'll try the next weight and for some reason it'll just be so much straighter or so much more square with that target and then of course you'll want to keep going up in those increments of weights to see what happens to those next ones you may even see that with that heavier weight it may even start to you know go the other direction and start 
you know, you'll stop seeing improvement and actually start getting worse again. Then you, then you kind of know where, you know, where that sweet spot is for that point weight. So, and then that point, whichever one seems to shoot best for you, you know, that's probably the, the point weight that you'll want to shoot. Now, kind of what I ran into with my setup this year is that once I got the uh, bow, you know, tuned in and everything like that, it seemed to not matter quite as much as to what point weight I use. Now, I already have a 75 grain insert um, in the front of my arrow, so I am already increasing that, that front of center and that point weight. So those 25 grain increments aren't quite as much, you know, because it's already front loaded quite a bit. But when I did shoot it uh, with my final setups, with the fletchings and everything like that, you know, that that lighter uh, point weight, it seemed a little bit faster, but it did seem to get a little bit more haywire, especially when I started getting at longer distances. And then the uh, 125 grain point that I use, you know, it seemed to straighten out quite a bit where it just seems, it seems like, you know, every shot, every arrow is just flying perfectly straight. Even with a heavy wind that I've been practicing so far, you know, I do notice a little bit of oscillation in the tail with the heavy breeze, but that point is still staying on point. And then I did shoot uh, 150 grain points as well. You know, those, they are just driving nails. They're rock solid. However, once I get up past that 125 grain point, those arrows fly super, super slow. So I honestly think that you know, those 150 grain points, you know, would be really good for if I was doing some really big, you know, dangerous game, uh, like African type hunting, just because they were just so rock solid. But, but for here in the Midwest and in Michigan, where the, you know, the primary thing is white tails, you know, I just don't need an arrow that that's heavy and really that slow. You know, I was looking at between the different weighted, arrows so with that 100 grain you know i can hit that you know center of the target and from the same range without moving my sight pin uh for the adjustment just shooting the three different weighted arrows i was looking at about an 8 to 10 inch difference on on from center of the target between the lightest arrow that uh, i was essentially dialed in at and then the heaviest arrow Whereas the the difference between the 100 grain point and the 125 grain point wasn't nearly as substantial. Um, I think it was four or five inch difference. Um, so it was a drop in the arrow, uh, but it wasn't nearly as drastic. So ultimately that's kind of why I decided to go with the 125 grain insert, not insert, the point, just because it kind of gave me the best of both worlds. It gave me a heavier arrow with a higher FOC, but it was still not a super heavy arrow that was, you know, super slow. And then the other thing that I had to look at too was with that heavier arrow setups I was getting into, you will find out that your archery equipment would be much quieter as you go up in that weight. You'll just notice that a lot more of that energy is being transferred to that arrow more efficiently and you're not getting as much vibration or noise. So that was essentially a long story to basically tell you to try the different uh, point weights, find one one that works best for you, and then once you find that point weight, you know, especially if it gets higher than that 150 uh, grain point weight, what you can do is end up knocking the inserts out or with the rest of your arrows get get weighted or heavier inserts uh, installed. That way you can you know go that back down to a 100 grain or 125 grain field point because that's going to be a little bit easier for you when it comes to finding a broadhead. You know, there's not a lot of manufacturers that are making, you know, broadheads over that 150 or that 150 grains. So with those arrows that you test on, you can knock the old inserts out, add a heavier insert, and then you can bring that point weight down just to give yourself some more options um, when, especially when it comes to the broadheads. All right, so you finished doing the bear shaft tuning. You found the, the point weight that works best for you and your arrows or your arrow setups that your bow likes, and they seem to be flying the straightest. 
Now the next thing you want to do is once you've got that figured out and you got at this point go ahead you know glue in all the rest of your inserts whatever weighted insert you wanted screw in the field point that you want and then the next thing you will be working on is knock tuning or uh, I guess another name for it is uh, like indexing the arrow now what essentially this is doing is making sure that you're shooting the arrow based on how it comes off the bow the best so what what ends up happening is that especially with these carbon arrows nowadays you know as good as the manufacturers are they can't get them perfectly you know the same density all the way through them every time so there are some very you know minor minor microscopic um, inconsistencies within those arrows you know your bow will shoot differently because of those inconsistencies on how you know the position you know sitting in your arrow rest so what you'll do next is you'll take your you know take your knock in and you'll mark your knot with like a like a sharpie or something like that some way to mark it so you can kind of know like okay this is this is on top here and then you'll want a point of reference on your arrow now you could use you know part of the you know part of the arrow wrap that's on there you know with the label and whatnot as your point of reference or you can take that sharpie and just mark the arrow um you know right next to where that knock is because what you'll end up be doing is you're gonna shoot that arrow again still bare shafted and you'll shoot it see how that arrow looks and then what you'll do is you'll pull that arrow out what you'll be doing is turning that knock a little bit so it's so you had it marked with at the one point now you're going to turn it a little bit you know usually what i do is i turn it about 90 degrees and then have that mark still be on top so you rotated that arrow around you're going to take another shot and see if that arrow came out straighter or was it you know cantered again or worse than the other shot you took and then you're going to pull that arrow again turn it again shoot it again and you're going to do that all the way around that that arrow and find out in what position that knock did the arrow hit the target the straightest now what you'll want to do too with this is you know make sure again that your target is at eye level as possible and you want to make sure that it's not moving when those arrows are hitting so if you had to put some some type of weight or a, a back or something like that to hold that target to make sure that it's not moving around as it gets hit because uh, that can throw that off a little bit you can just you can end up chasing your tail uh, if your target's moving around on you but yeah so once you turn that knock all the way around you'll find that a certain position on that knock within that arrow is gonna fly a little bit straighter than in the other positions and then you could you know kind of play around with that position you can turn it a little bit you know left or right again uh, to see if there's a really a sweet spot or the spot where it seems to really shoot the best and then once you've got that done on that arrow, unfortunately, the best way to go about it is you have to do that for every one of your arrows. Now, again, that can be a time-consuming process, uh, especially if you if it's your first time really doing it. Now, I've done this a couple different times now, or a couple different years in a row now, and it certainly went much quicker the second year uh, have, having to do it just because I kind of understand you know, the process and what I'm looking for. And really, you're just trying to get that arrow to whichever position is gonna, it seems to be hitting that target the best. Now, again, you're probably not gonna run into where it's not gonna be perfect. And, that, and that's perfectly okay. You just wanna get them to where they're hitting the best. And you'll probably notice as you do this that those positions of those knocks are gonna end up in different positions based on, you know, compared to your labeling on your arrows and whatnot. And those are the those inconsistencies in those carbon arrows uh, that just you can't get out of. Now, I guess I should step back a little bit now. If you are using aluminum arrows, uh, which I don't know how many people are doing that these days, but if for whatever reason you are using aluminum arrows, you know, just in you know the manufacture of those aluminum arrows, that aluminum does is more consistent. So you probably wouldn't have to do this step if you're shooting aluminum arrows. Now, certainly if I you know, switch to aluminum I would probably still try and see if there there was any difference made, but more than likely you wouldn't need to really do this step. Just something about those aluminum arrows on how, how they're made. Uh, you don't run into those inconsistencies like you do with the carbon. All right, so now that you've got all of your arrows set up with the point weight that you like, and now you've got them all uh, knock tuned or indexed, 
uh, to what works best for your bow. Now the next part is getting some fletchings put on them. Now I actually test this process as well. So, you know, certainly those, you know, typically the blazer veins that you find on arrows when you first get them, they are really good veins. You know, they're probably why almost every uh, bow manufacturer puts them on, they're starting out, uh, they're solid. But again, the next step or the thing that we're looking for is what works best for your arrows and what works best for your bow and what works best for how you shoot. So what I do now is take at least three different uh, bank configurations that I work with. So usually I will start out with having, you know, a couple arrows fletched with those blazer veins. And then the next two, or in the next two sets, I will get them fletched a little bit differently. Typically what I'll do is go with a, like a lower profile vein. Uh, like right now I've got the moaning heat veins. Uh, they're like a two and a half inch and a lower profile. Um, but I have also used uh, some Fusion 2s. Uh, last year, that's what I used. That seemed to what worked best. And then and those were three and a half inch, and I did have some four inch veins as well that when I was testing it, they, like if I was to shoot target archery, uh, that would be the arrow setup I would use. Uh, for whatever reason, with field points and that vein configuration with my arrows and my bow, that they flew beautifully uh they were just i mean they were a heavy arrow but i mean there was no matter how much the wind blew they for whatever reason were rock solid but what i did run into with that one is that as soon as i threw a broadhead on uh everyone looked out because those arrows were going everywhere so that's again part of the reason why i tested these different uh fletching configurations that way I knew if there was one that maybe wasn't shooting the best or if there was a configuration that shot the best. So again, it, it makes this process is much easier if you have, you know, your own uh, equipment, like your own fletching jig and stuff like that to be able to do this yourself. If you don't, then it is a little bit more work going to the bow shop, having them, you know, do up a couple of different configurations for you. So. Well, I guess you could go you could go into this as far as you wanted to really I mean you could go from I mean you could test almost every type of bank configuration that's out there you could go with or every type of length and height of a fletching you know three fletch four fletch there's people that are even doing all the way up to six fletch but typically what I would say is go with at least three you know that's typically what I like to test with so I'll do one with those the blazer veins uh, those are always really solid, but I always notice that because of that higher profile on them, they're usually the noisiest of the veins. I mean, you can hear you know, those veins um, as they're cutting through the air. So that's part, one reason why I don't like those blazer veins. They're just, they're just loud to me. And then the next one, uh, so let's go back a little bit. So last year when I did this test, I, again, ended up going with a a four inch uh, like a lower profile vein I don't remember the exact measurements and then I ended up uh, going with a three and a half inch uh, of the same brand as it's a shorter version of it and then I did a um, an offset with that as well and actually that's one thing we could touch base on uh, so if you're looking at getting a, uh, an, a custom you know fletching put on if you're looking at doing either an offset or a helical where you're putting a little twist in those those veins or turning them this a little bit to help get that spin going, uh, one thing you'll want to do, or at least one thing I would recommend to you to do, is again with a bare shaft, you know, have that arrow marked and then shoot it. Again, you don't have to be very far, uh, you know, only a, a few yards away, and see which direction that arrow is turning naturally. So again, it's not going to make a huge difference if you don't do this step, but if your bow already naturally has a tendency to have that arrow start to turn one direction or the other, or start spinning one direction or the other, then you want those fletchings, you know, going in that same direction, helping that arrow spin the direction it's already naturally wanting to go. It's just going to help get that spin going sooner, 
So if you if you don't do that process and your arrow you know wants to twist a certain way and you do the fletchings the other way, it's just going to take a little bit longer. And from my understanding, the reason why that arrow will have a natural twist, you know, turn to it, um, from what I've been explained, is that it's basically the, I guess the twist in the arrow string. Uh, so, but I don't know the exact science on that. Um, I just tested it myself, found out that arrows had a you know, certain direction they always wanted to start turning to the left. So I ended up putting the left offset on it just to get that that going a little bit faster. Again, and that's if you're wanting to put some type of offset or helical on on your fletchings. Uh, you know, they are going to get that arrow to spin a little bit faster. But again, with that additional drag that's going to be put on those arrows, it is going to slow your arrows down a little bit as well. You know, to what extent uh, depends on your on your setup. Uh, but that would be something that you would notice is that it is going to slow them down just a little bit. All right, so I keep getting off on these different tangents here, but well, yeah. So when you're going through this, testing your different fletching configurations, you want at least two arrows, whichever configuration that you that you're using with, so you can see how they group or how they shoot in comparison to each other, as well as compared to the others. So again, you can test as many different configurations you want. Uh, you may even run into where there's a combination or a configuration that seemed to work a little bit better and you could always test a little bit more with that so if it was if you had your fletching straight and you wanted to add a helical to them to see if that makes any improvement then you could you know make that adjustment again if you have your own fletching equipment you know this is a relatively easy process if you have to go to the bow shop again a little more in depth a little bit more time consuming and whatnot so what you'll do then is once you've got at least two arrows of each of your different fletching configurations, you're going to step back and shoot and see how they fly. So again, you can kind of pick your ranges. You'll certainly pick a range that you're within your comfort zone of being able to produce good shots. In the past, I've done that at 20 and 40 yards just to see if at distance it makes much of a difference on, on, your, on those you know, fletchings again any type of errors or anything like that or inconsistency does get amplified as you back up further from that target. Uh, so sometimes it's good to see kind of what it's doing uh, further back as well. And you'll notice again that more than likely there'll be you know a certain configuration that just seems to have a little bit tighter group, a little bit closer to center than some of the others. Again, your results may vary on you know how much of a difference you may you know, shoot your different configurations and they're all relatively close. And then you could essentially pick whichever one that you really wanted to go with if you don't see a significant difference in performance. So, and then before you completely tear down and get everything fletched in that configuration, uh, as I kind of mentioned before, you know, I've done this in the past where I had an arrow that I thought was, yep, this is the configuration. These, it loves these fletchings, they fly awesome. Make sure that you test it with a broadhead with those configurations as well uh, just to see how they compare so like I said with that last one that I tried last year you know it was a significant difference where the moment I shot a couple of those broadheads I knew that that was not going to be my arrow setup for the year for hunting because uh, it was just not it just it didn't perform so that'd be one step that you want to make sure that you do is test it with the broadhead of, of your choice as well just to make sure that it's doing exactly what it should be doing and staying close with those field points. All right, and since we're have brought up broadheads, I guess we can talk about those a little bit too. Now again, it, those are just kind of like the fletchings. There are endless different varieties of broadheads. You could go with fixed blade, mechanical, two blade, three blade, four blade. You know, hybrids are fixed and mechanical all in one. Uh, you know, it's kind of an endless you know array of different broadheads that you could shoot and again you could pick one and have it be one that you really like and you put it in your put it on your arrow shoot it and it could fly great it could perform great or it could completely you know do the opposite it could be you know you know not flying very well it's not hitting nearly you know, anywhere close to your field points so again you'll always want to make sure that you test that so if you have a particular broadhead that you have in mind you know, certainly make sure that you test it, make sure that it is fine, you know, to your satisfaction. So, and ideally, you want something that's going to shoot relatively close to your, your field points. Now, you know, you may get a few that, you know, end up right in the middle of those 
groups, but others, they may be a little off. So if you find a broadhead that you just absolutely want to stick with and it is a little off from your field points, you can do uh, a little bit of adjustment uh, with your rest to try to get those uh, a little bit closer. So essentially what you'll do is pick a distance, you know, 20 yards would probably work just fine. You know, shoot your field point and then shoot your broadhead. Depending on how far away, if you do want to get those a little bit closer, what you'll do is make an adjustment to your rest. And this will be a very, very, very small adjustment. A little bit of adjustment can go a long way uh, when, when trying to get these together. Um, and what you'll do then is, you know, look at it, you know, where that broadhead ends up in comparison to that field point. Yeah. So once you've got your uh, field point and your broadhead uh, both shot, you'll see how they compare to each other. Now, if it's within an inch or two or within your margin of error for you know your shooting, you know if you would get relatively the same distance away from each other if you had shoot shot both field points, then you probably don't need to make an adjustment. But if it's a, you know further than that, or if you do want to try to really bring those two as close as possible, so you, if you'll you'll look at the difference. So if your uh, if your field point you know shot perfectly center and your broadhead ended up being you know a little bit to the left you'll move that rest in the direction that you want the arrow to go so you know if it shot to the left you'll move that rest ever so slightly back to the right now again these are very small adjustments uh, if you start getting too far or you know making too big a movement uh, then you're going to notice that you know you're going to completely throw off your your whole setup basically uh, just by having you know that rest too far out of that center shot area again again these are micro tuning uh, adjustments you'll make their small so you make your small adjustment and then you want to shoot again again shoot the field point shoot the broadhead and see if you've brought them in a little bit closer hopefully you did um, and hopefully that you know that field point is still landing right where you want it as well again if you notice that you know all of a sudden they're both shooting way off you know, and you're seeing a significant change, then it probably means that you moved it a little bit too far and you're actually throwing off that field point arrow as well. And you kind of got to go back to where you started. And again, it all depends too on the type of broadhead that you're shooting. More than likely, if you have a mechanical broadhead, then you're probably not going to need to do this step. Uh, those, those mechanicals with the, with the blades folded in, you're typically not going to get you know that sailing effect that that the fixed blade broadheads will have so more than likely you won't have to but if you're still curious i would certainly you know test it out see how they perform and then i didn't really go into it but i guess we will on pros and cons between different types of broadheads now the mechanicals are gonna in general fly a little bit better or at least have that higher tendency you know more than likely you can throw a mechanical broadhead on basically any arrow setup and they should fly relatively good or relatively straight and you know not have any issue now if you're to try to do that same process with a fixed blade broadhead depending on again you know how big of, of blades you have on that field point uh, then you may notice that a little bit more consistency um, if you're not you know doing a lot of the tuning to get that you know corrected and then there's some you know, fixed blades that you know, will fly just like your field points as well. Uh, but the general trend is that that you will have a little bit more inconsistency um, just because of that that higher, you know, those blades sticking out, kind of creating like a sail effect on the front of that arrow. As I mentioned before, those mechanicals, they are going to be, you know, in general, fly a little bit better than those fixed blades. And of course, a big selling point with those mechanicals is that they create really big you know, wounds and have those really big cutting diameters. Now, uh, I think I talked about or touched base on it a little bit before, uh, I think on the previous episode, that those wider cutting diameters are going to require more force to be able to be pushed through, you know, whatever you're shooting. So it is going to take up a little more energy. And one thing that, uh, that you may know is, especially if you start getting in the bone and whatnot, it may not be able to cut through those bones as well just because it's going to need even more force to be able to cut through them um, in comparison to a smaller smaller type broadhead and then the other thing that you usually see too with a lot of those larger mechanicals is that 
you know, if you ever looked at them when they're deployed, you know, that that blade is relatively flat. It doesn't have a real steep angle, which that, again, is going to require additional force to push through. You would be similar to, you know, if you had a knife and you're just trying to push through something, you know, it's not going to cut as nearly as well as if you slid that, uh, you know, blade down along whatever you're cutting. You know, that's what those little bit steeper angles of those blades will do. They'll just seem to cut a little bit better, a little bit easier and not need nearly as much force. So that's one thing. Again, if you really want to get into the weeds about it, you can look at, you know, those, those blade angles and take that in consideration in picking a broadhead for you. Again, don't have to do these steps. These are things that, you know, you don't have to stay up at night thinking about, but it could make a small difference. And then the other thing that I noticed, um, I didn't really take much in consideration of this, or I didn't really think about it too much until I started diving in the process of trying to find a broadhead that's just gonna be a little bit tougher. You know, it's not going to break off as easy or something that I know that if it does hit bone, that it's gonna, you know, hold its shape and not get deformed in any way. And I did start noticing is that these, a lot of the mechanical broadheads, they are working with a lot thinner steel than what you'll find on a fixed blade. You know, you if you've shot mechanicals before, you'll probably have seen it where after you shoot an animal, you pick up that broadhead and those blades are gonna be, you know, damaged or dinged in some way. You know, I did harvest a couple animals with a couple of fixed blades or mechanical blades, broadheads, and I noticed that like I what I thought I was gonna be able to reuse. I went to fold the blades back in, and one side wouldn't fit. It, the whole blade bent. Uh, now again, it did it do what it needed to, and was able to harvest that animal. Yes, but it was something I did take in consideration. Is that if that broadhead hit maybe something harder? You know that blade might have broken off completely not giving me that you know big cutting diameter that i was hoping for so then that's when we move on to the fixed blade now the fixed blade again in general are gonna be uh you have to take a little bit more consideration on the arrow flight with that fixed blade but they are going to be generally made with a little bit thicker steel or a little bit thicker metal uh, and have just a little bit more uh, be a little bit sturdier in regards to being able to hold up to hit something hard. Now again, I'm sure you've pulled up the you know YouTube and people testing the arrows or broadheads on like concrete slabs and stuff like that. You know that that's all well and good and everything, but that's you know certainly not anything close to you know real life or anything like that. Like sure, if you have a pass through and it hits hits a rock, then maybe that fixed blade broadhead may be just fine and hold up. Maybe it doesn't. But it is something to take into consideration that, that with that with that thicker steel, you know, it potentially is going to hold up the bone a little bit better than a thinner steel broadhead. And then, if we really want to get down into the weeds, we can go into the different number of blades of a broadhead. You know, certainly you have a two blade, three blade, and again a four blade or like a two blade with like some bleeders, and really just those additional blades uh, are just different patterns of a cutting hole so so like the two blade uh, and even if you look into now they're doing like a single bevel cut the idea with that two blade with that single bevel is that they're going to end up doing a lot thicker steel with those two blades it, especially too with that single bevel it's going to have a lot more weight to it so that's when you get into if you're looking at a broadhead that's you know 150 grains plus those are the type of broadheads that you're probably going to find or you know, you'll be finding yourself more on like a traditional archery, you know, site that has broadheads because with that traditional archery, they do want those heavier, you know, point weights, those heavier arrows. So you, so you need that additional kinetic energy um, added, added in the weight. But with those single bevels, the idea is with those ones is that because that cutting is only on one side, once the arrow penetrates the animal, it's going to have a tendency to want to turn because one side is going to have less friction or less resistance than the other. So that arrow will actually spin a little bit and continue to spin as it's within the animal, you know, potentially increasing, you know, damage as it goes through. Now that two blade as well, uh, if you hit a bone, like if you hit a rib bone, that two blade is going to be a little bit more efficient at being able to cut through it, you know, basically just because, you know, this that two blades, two single 
you know blades cutting through that if you you know hit directly onto the rib or if you're in between ribs then it will just kind of cut through them and then that that single bevel too will help kind of push that along um, as well so then you get into a three blade now the three blade you know that's additional blade for additional cutting but one thing you'll have to consider with those three blades is basically now you've got like a wedge shape at the end of the arrow so if you do hit in between those ribs it is going to take a little bit more force again because now it's kind of creating that wedge shape and it's going to you know as it cuts through those ribs it is going to be kind of pushing them off kind of like a snow plow does um, you know kind of pushing that stuff off to the side so if you hit directly into it you would be similar to you know trying to drive a heavier or a, a thicker wedge through something than as a point to like a single edge or a single point but again you know if you have you know if you're putting a good shot on more than likely you're probably not going to run into too much of an issue with that but if if you do hit a harder bone or something like that or if the animal's moving just right or positioned just right it may may have a small effect on it now like last year with the the montex i was shooting the buck i shot actually i you know because of that additional air weight and the distance the deer was you know i actually shot through uh the scapula on the near side when i was processing it i found that chip missing you know basically caught one edge of it and then it did end up going out basically you know just behind the 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 leg on the back side so i ended up i was able to get a full pass even having hit that scapula again that scapula is a relatively thin bone on a whitetail so even if you have a larger broadhead or a lighter setup you, there's a good possibility that you'll you know make through that scapula because um, it's not that thicker you know you know leg bone that you can run into but it did perform just fine and actually you know that that arrow um, the fletchings actually got hung up in it and I ended up breaking the arrow so it wasn't something I could reuse again uh, but I did get a, pa a complete pass through with that and then again same thing with the four blade you know you're just going to be dealing with additional blade for additional damage and again you're going to end up having that little bit larger wedge shape again you add those and then with you adding more of those blades up front you know you're going to look into potentially you know having more of a concern with how that broadhead flies through the air and then if you have uh, something that's like a hybrid or uh, even a fixed blade that has those bleeder vein or bleeder blades on them you know those are typically a little bit smaller blades but they are going to add additional cutting to them and with those smaller blades they're generally not going to be big enough to really affect arrow flight or you know create kind of that more of that wedge you know wedge issue um, as some of those three blades or four blade you know broadheads can do but with all this said you know that's a lot of diving deep into things to potentially think about but again ultimately it's up to you on how much of a priority or how much you think or how much that is going to affect your decision making on the type of broadhead you pick you know certainly you may find ones that you kind of like there's always new ones coming out that always you know catch your eye and whatnot you know as long as you test it through make sure it flies good um, if you like how it performs then that's a good broadhead for you so we've gone through that your bow is in tune you've selected your arrows you've done some bear shaft tuning found out uh, what point weight or what arrow weight or I guess you could even say the front of center that your bow and arrows really like and fly the best with you've done your knock tuning finding the correct position for that knock for what the arrow flies the best and actually I did forget one thing about when once you've had your knock tuning done when you go to get those fletchings put on you always want to make sure that that knock point is on top so you have to take a little bit of consideration uh, when you're doing your fletchings like if again if you're doing it yourself you may have to adjust that jig a little bit to make sure that you know once those fletchings are in place that you have that knock point on top and that you're not running into any clearance issues uh, with your bow or anything like that uh, make sure you're not hitting the cables or anything like that with with that setup so that's one thing i did forget that you have to take a little bit of additional consideration uh, so you have to make sure that if you do take it to your bow shop that they take that in consideration as well when uh, fletching your arrows for you so yep so then you've got your knock tuning done you've got your veins on that work best for you you've tested it with your broadhead 
And now really it's just to really some of the other uh, details. I mean, if you really wanted to get into it again, we could start talking about releases. So again, the big one is usually a wrist trigger release or a thumb or back tension release. You know, I did dabble in playing around between the two in years past. So it wasn't last year, it was the year before. I end up at the beginning of the you know, beginning of the year, I got a, uh, a thumb uh, back tension release. So it's one of the ones that does have the little trigger. So you could potentially pull the trigger with your thumb um, to get the shot off. Or the way you're really supposed to use them is use that back tension where you pull, you know, basically pull back on, on that release around that string. And then the tension of you pulling back will pull that trigger and the shot goes off. The idea with those back tensions are is that you get more of a surprise release uh, to where you can't anticipate the shot because basically once you hit a certain amount of pressure on that release, then it's just gonna go off. So you, you really don't have too much control about it. Now with those thumb release ones, you know, you can find yourself where you're just gonna punch that trigger and punch that thumb and make that go off. Uh, so if you really wanted to do a back tension, you know, you would go with either a hinge release or I did see that John Dudley with uh, Knock On um, Archery, I think a brand, um, he actually has a wrist release, uh, back tension uh, release, where basically, uh, if I got it straight, you will hold down the trigger and that essentially takes the safety off of that release and then you have to act as a true back tension release. Uh, to where you have to pull back on that string until it reaches a certain amount of tension and then the bow will go or the release will or will, will release and you get the shot off that way. So, but I just kind of jump like five steps ahead of myself here with that type of release because that's actually kind of what I was looking for in a release. So usually with those back tension releases, they're usually not something that, um, or most of them, are ones that are just um, freestanding. They don't attach to like your wrist or anything like that. Uh, most people just end up hooking them onto their bowstring and just leaving it on the bowstring. So when they're in the tree stand or blind or something like that, it's just kind of already hanging on there. You know, when I had mine, when I first shot with it, it was certainly different. Now, the other thing I did note though is with that type of release, because it changed that release and how they're usually a little bit shorter, I did end up having to shorten my draw length a bit. Um, you know, I was shooting at essentially a 28 inch draw length, but with that different release, I end up having to shorten that down a half inch just to get it to fit right again. Um, so if you do switch releases, do keep that in mind is that you may notice that the positioning of that rest um, and how you anchor uh, may, may end up being a little bit different and you may have to make an adjustment to that. But I did end up, um, once I got the hang of it and got it, you know, the release adjusted correctly. So you do have to make adjustments to those um, to have the correct amount of tension required uh, to make that go off. Now you do have to be careful because if you make it too light, um, you may actually uh, have that release break or have that trigger go off while you're actually still trying to draw the bow back. Do be careful with that because you know you might end up punching yourself in the face, you know, trying to draw that bow back if you have that release at set at too low a tension. And then the other thing is you may run into if it's too high you may feel like you're pulling and pulling and pulling and you're actually using so much force that you actually may feel start noticing that you're going to start getting a little bit wobbly um, where you're not going to have a good hold on that target because you have that tension so high. So you're going to have to play around with that and find you know that correct tension for you. Now for me, I did shoot better in the target setting, but the way, the, the way that you shoot these back tensions is that um, you're really... Once you start the process of pulling back and adding tension, you really can't stop, um, or at least you're not supposed to. You know, basically, if you're doing that stopping and starting, uh, you know, partway through the process, then you're gonna end up having, you're getting yourself into a bad tendency of you're gonna start as that pin drifts along that bullseye, you're gonna think, okay, pull, and you're gonna pull back really hard, and it's not gonna have the the correct effect on you, or not gonna have the correct effect. Um, that you're supposed to with these back tension reads, you're still going to essentially start punching the trigger, which is completely defeating the purpose of having that back tension release. That was one thing I didn't really like about it. And I did, um, 
you know, try during hunt season. And again, I just didn't like it. It almost seemed like there were too many steps involved. Um, you know, it just, I don't know. Like once, once you're drawn back on an animal and you have to start that process, like I, I just didn't like it. It seemed like it took, I don't know if it took, felt like it took too long, but it seemed like it was too much for me to think about. Now, I don't know if it was because I had only used it for one season and that was my first hunt or my first hunting season with it. Um, even though I hundreds, if not thousands of shots through it, uh, when it came to shooting an animal with that back tension release or with that thumb trigger, I just didn't like it. So this past year, I did switch back to uh, a wrist, uh, tr you know, trigger release. Uh, you know, there are some times where you catch yourself where you're, you know, having a little bit of that target panic or you're trying dealing with like a windy day or whatnot and you punch that trigger and sometimes it doesn't turn out. But I do like having the little bit of control where you can kind of have that more, you know, I guess like a controlled release or, you know, whatnot where you can just, if you needed to hit that trigger, you could hit that trigger and have it go off now. But that gets me into that other um, back tension release. So, you know, basically it allows you to have, uh, or, you know, the one that um, I had mentioned before I started getting into the releases here, the one that's made from that knock on archery. I really like the idea of that because it's, it's still on your wrist. So it's not hanging on your bow and whatnot. And then, you know, it eliminates, well, let's just go back a little bit. It would be familiar. So it'd be, it's set up just like a regular uh, wrist release with a trigger, but so you still actually have a trigger on it, but that trigger doesn't mean that the arrow go or the bow is going to go off. That is all it is, is turning off the safety. So you still have that trigger and then you just pull through that once that safety is released. So I think with the familiarity of it being on your wrist and my anchor points, everything like that, and my hand placement being the same. And then all I do at that point is once I'm drawn back, hit that safety when I'm ready to go and then start and then start pulling back on it or pulling or adding tension to it. Do like that idea. However, last I looked that release cost about 200 bucks. So a little bit about a little bit out of my price point in regards to a, a release at this point. But you know, at some point I may pull the trigger on that just cause I really like the idea. I think I like it, but I'm not hundred percent sure. So that's one reason why, another reason why I'm not too eager to purchase one cause I may not even like, like it once I have it. So, um, so that's one thing that you can think about too, with those, with the different releases. Again, most everyone in the hunting, you know, aspect is going to be using a wrist release and they, and that's what I've gone back to. It's just more familiar to me. I'm more comfortable with it. It just seems simpler to me. And I, I think I shoot better with it. Now, I guess the last thing I'll touch on is this newest thing that I've been testing on or trying uh, just this past, oh, I would say about a month or so where I've, you know, and reading and listening to other people talk, I do hear some people that uh, shoot archery with both eyes open, which I was always typically the one that would close my non-dominant eye as I look through the peep. And that's how I've been shooting for years. So I have tried, uh, and like I said, this past month or so, trying shooting with both eyes open. And surprisingly, I've had some good results with it. So I thought it would be a really hard transition to get into, but it's not too bad. Now I will say um, it is certainly weird because you're, again, not focusing on that, you know, on that pin nearly as much, um, just because you are getting a little bit of, um, just your focus is different. You're actually more or less just doing like a stare down on the target itself, looking through the housing. And then so your focal point is the target. And then you just happen to see your dot from your pin within the area that you want to be in and then you release a shot. So I have noticed that you don't, you're not pinpointing that, that pin on the bullseye. You're just getting, you're basically getting it just in the, in the general area, just because it's not in focus. So you can't actually pinpoint it. Now I did notice that when I first did it, that I did notice a little bit of body movement when I would release the shot. Now, I don't know if that was just me just getting used to, you know, having the fact that both eyes were open, I just, my balance was a little bit different because I had both eyes open or would almost seem like sometimes where I was just like, man, that seemed like it, that was a little off when I released that shot. 
and it almost felt like my body made a quick adjustment right at the moment of when I pulled the trigger and it like I pulled myself to get that arrow to center now certainly wasn't something I was consciously doing but I did notice a little bit of movement so I don't know if that was the case of what was going on uh but you know I noticed it nonetheless now as I've continued to shoot that way I have noticed that that movement I'm not noticing that movement nearly as much now, I will catch a time or two as I practice that you know I'll be like man I, I felt like I like moved a little bit or jerked a little bit um, but it still ended up perfectly in the center which that's one thing I was really surprised about that you know I was, I've been basically doing this at 20 yards to start um, I'm not moving out any further than that until um, probably next month as I progress throughout my practice throughout the year but I did notice that it just seemed when I was shooting with both eyes open that I consistently had more arrows closer to the, my aim point than when I would be shooting with my non-dominant eye closed. It just seemed like for some reason, you know, if I really had to measure them all out, that they were just consistently closer to the bullseye uh, than normal. But I did run into uh, a few nights ago, because so I did end up shooting, uh, going out and shooting a little bit later, so that it was a little bit darker. I did notice that I was having a little bit harder time uh, with my focus in a little bit lower light setting. Now, a part of the reason why you would shoot with both eyes open is because you would be able to uh, potentially shoot better in a low light situation just because you have both eyes open, you're drawing in more light so you can potentially see a little bit better. But I did notice I was having a hard time focusing where it seemed like I was almost getting like a double vision with the pin. So I was still hitting relatively close to the bullseye, but it was consistently either being to the left or to the right. And I think I was just having a hard time with my eyes and where I focused to where I was getting like that double vision with the pin because I would notice that the pin was essentially was on both sides of that uh you know the bullseye area and I think either if it was you know unconscious or not I was picking one or the other and that's what I was using as my focal point so it would always end up left or right based on that tunnel or that double vision I was getting with that with that pin again I went out and shot the next morning and I didn't have that issue at all so I'm not sure if it's just a lighting issue where my eyes just weren't accustomed to, you know, the light, or I was just having a just having a hard time focusing that night. I don't know. So certainly, more to come on that. On on uh, if I'm gonna start shooting more uh, with both eyes open or not. You know, it just kind of really comes down to you know, how I feel I'm shooting at the end of the summer, on if I'm going to utilize that technique when hunting uh, now certainly you know that's something that you know if you read and hear and whatnot that you know a lot of people when rifle hunting will do the same thing or even upland bird the mindset is you know having both eyes open you know gives you that better field of view you can see outside of that scope area um, so there is a little bit of you know history of you know having both eyes open is generally better uh, it's just not practiced by a ton of people so I'm going to keep messing with that getting back on subject again here so once you've gone through this whole process we're not looking for perfection we're looking for if you can make you know incremental improvements on your setup so you know is there is there an arrow weight or front and center that your arrow or your that your bow really likes that seems to shoot a little bit straighter have a little bit more punch be a little bit quieter and then with the fletchings you know is there a fletching configuration that seems to be able to you know work the best is there do I see an improvement in my grouping size? Um, are they quieter? You know, do they work well with my broadheads? You know, all these little steps. At any point, you can discontinue it and just shoot what you've got. But these are just little tiny things that you can do, again, throughout the summer, uh, in the off season, just to try to make it just a little bit better. Because when it comes time to hunting, it's not easy. So you want to try to stack the cards in your favor as much as possible. And doing some of these extra steps, if nothing else, you know you have more confidence going into it knowing that your bow and arrow setup is shooting the best it possibly can you know when it comes to the moment of truth that's how confident are you in your equipment so yeah so you'll have your confidence and then you also just have a better understanding of and how your archery setup uh reacts you know you know the limitations you know what it likes what you're kind of looking for at what shoots the best um through your setup so if you do make a change then you already kind of know why you know a different or a change happens um, you know if you're not shooting 
if you know if you change a broadhead or an arrow type then you can kind of reverse engineer and kind of figure out what the heck's going on if you're not shoot if it's not shooting as the way you thought it should so again got off on some little tangents um, of some other side notes and whatnot but hopefully you found it useful with these steps you know I go through it every year um, if I, especially if I make any type of change or I always just double check to make sure that everything's still as I left it essentially for the year and then that way when I go in throughout the summer you know I, I'm building confidence when I set up I'm, as I'm practicing you know and getting ready for the season then when it comes time to hunting season then I'm ready to go I know I've got everything dialed in the way I want it and I'm ready to go so hopefully you go through this process I hope that you that you're able to make some improvements if you go through it um, and just going through and again just tinkering with your equipment to figure out what what works best and what works best for you uh, so hopefully you go through that hopefully you find an improvement and I guess we will talk to you next week